You're listening to the Frugal Spender Podcast, where we have conversations about the one thing you've always been told not to talk about, personal finance. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Frugal Spender Podcast. This is episode 20. And for this episode, I have chosen a topic that I get asked quite a lot about and one that I spend a lot of time talking to either money coaching clients or people that message me on social media about. So I thought I'd put together a little guide for people who are thinking about getting started with investing or people who already invest and just want to refresh their minds on simplifying things or just getting back to the basics when it comes to investing. Before we get going, I want to make it absolutely clear that nothing in this episode is financial advice. This is for educational purposes only and is an accumulation of the knowledge that I've gained from both learning and also doing it myself. There will always be people who have differing opinions about the best way to go about things and that is no different to investing. But if you know me by now, you would know that I believe strongly that the most effective methods with money, pretty much anything to do with money, are often the simplest methods. Investing is no different and don't be fooled by people trying to overcomplicate this subject for you. So in this episode, I want to go through some basics, uh, some terminology, what things mean, and then I'm going to go through three steps, three very simple steps that it can get you going from absolutely no investing whatsoever to getting going within a day. Right, so let's get into the bare essentials. What is investing? Well, investing, put simply, is putting your money into something in the hope that more money is going to be generated in the form of profit. It is basically buying assets. Now, an asset could be buy-to-let property, buying vintage cars, collecting valuable Pokemon cards, or investing in the stock market. An investment portfolio represents the set of assets that an investor holds. Basically, you can think of a portfolio as a shopping basket, and asset classes are the groceries. Everybody's basket looks different, and there's no right combination, only the mixture that fits what you want or your goals. Now, cash isn't usually really thought of as an asset, but it's an important component of a portfolio. It's used as a cushion in times when other assets are underperforming and is also there to be used should an opportunity arise, such as the Bitcoin share price plummeting, and you want to take advantage of it because you think it's going to skyrocket again, as an example. Now, to clarify, I'm not telling you to go invest in Bitcoin, but you get the idea. Essentially, investing is about looking forward. It's making a conscious decision to grow your money. Now, in this episode, I'm going to stick to investing in the stock market, and there's a reason for that. It's because I think it's the most accessible to the majority of people. Pretty much anybody with one pound can get started, and there is very little friction in comparison to other potential asset classes. For example, buying a property. Now, you may not think that you're investing, but if you're putting money into a workplace pension, which the chances are if you're employed, you are, that money is being invested in the stock market for you. And even the national insurance that you pay every single month from your paycheck is going towards the state pension that you're hoping to get. That money is also being invested just by the government. Now, it's important to distinguish that investing and saving are different. We need to remember that. Saving is putting your money into a bank and earning a very modest interest with very low risk and is generally for the short term. And when I say modest, I mean you really are losing the value of your money due to now, especially the cost of living crisis going up as much as it currently is. Now, that's not to say that there isn't a place for saving. Keeping your emergency fund in the bank is a smart move because you want to have immediate access to it. And the value of that money is just going to drop with inflation. You're just going to have to come to terms with it. But 
this money is insurance. This is an investment. But the rest of your money after you have that cash buffer in a bank is going to need to grow. And we do that by investing. So investing is buying real assets with your money and is generally for the mid to long term. You should never consider investing money that you know you're going to need in less than a minimum of five years. And the reason for that is because time is your friend. This allows you to take advantage of what Albert Einstein said was the eighth wonder of the world, compound interest. Now, this is the exponential growth of your money given time to grow within the stock markets. It's essentially interest upon interest upon interest. Just Google a compound interest calculator to see how your money compounds over 20 to 30 years. By the end of this period, the majority of the growth is from the interest or dividends or stock growth, not the actual money that you've put in yourself. All the graphs look the same when it comes to compound interest over time. It just skyrockets towards the end. Okay, so how does the stock market actually work anyway? Well, the stock market is just a name for a group of exchanges where parts of companies are bought and sold. You've definitely heard of some of these exchanges, some such as the London Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ or the NYSE. Exchanges are basically just supermarkets filled with stocks on the shelves. People can go and buy and sell them. And don't be fooled by the fancy names. Essentially, it's a Facebook marketplace or Gumtree for buying parts of companies. Now, a company may decide that it wants to float on the stock market, and this is called an IPO or an Initial Public Offering. And it's what a company can do to raise some money to grow and expand by offering a portion of the business to investors, investors being you. Then you or any other investor can sell those stocks to other buyers that they want at a different price, hopefully a higher one. So when you sell a stock, you aren't selling it back to the company, you're selling it to another investor. Although there are some situations where the company would buy back stocks, but let's focus on the basics. Now, it's also important to note that the price of a stock is governed by supply and demand and is more of a reflection of how people perceive the business than how a business is actually doing. This is why big news stories or scandals can affect a company's stock price so dramatically, despite absolutely nothing changing within the business from day to day. Okay, so I think that's the extent of what you need to know about what the stock market is before you actually start investing. But make sure you just have a basic understanding of what the stock market is and consider some reasons as to why the stock market sometimes crashes or sometimes booms. I mean, look at COVID or the cost of living crisis. You know, we all know that's negatively going to be affecting the stock market, although it sometimes isn't necessarily a bad thing because now stocks are at a discount. Either way, you don't need to be reading the Financial Times every single day. You just need to have a rudimentary understanding of what the stock market is, roughly what a stock is, but you don't need to know all the acronyms and all the terminology. You just need to know the basics because you should never put your money into anything that you don't at least understand the basics about. Okay, let's move on to risk. Firstly, you need to know that when you invest in the stock market, your capital is at risk. This means that as well as having the potential to make a lot of profit, you could also lose a lot too. And this is the main reason I hear from people for not investing in the first place. It's viewed as gambling. But can risk actually be the reason why you make money over the long term? You know the old saying, with higher risk becomes potential higher rewards. Now, risk is actually the driving force of your money within the stock market. And this is also known or could be known as volatility. The fluctuation of the stock price that can go up or down in a short period of time, but looks like a smooth upward slope when you zoom out and look at a graph over time. 
Now, generally, this applies to the overall stock market. Some stocks do have major up and down swings over time. Let's use Bitcoin again as an example. But the stock market as a whole, which you can invest in within index funds, which we'll go into shortly, historically, these have always gone up given enough time. There's a saying when it comes to investing. It's about time in the market and not timing the market. Having the nerve to not sell your stocks when the stock market crashes like it has done in the last six months is what separates the winners from the losers over time. Traders buy and sell often to try and make a quick profit. Investors keep buying over time and don't sell out of fear. The truth and the reality of it is that a lot of people do make the mistake of buying high and selling low, which is the opposite of what you want. And a great example at the moment is crypto. There are countless stories of people buying crypto when the price shoots up overnight because they want to get in on the hype. And then two days later, the price plummets again and they sell out of fear because they think they're going to lose absolutely everything, only to look back at the price again a week later, where it skyrocketed even further than it did before. Now, look, I'm not against crypto or Bitcoin. In fact, I own some Bitcoin, but I have never sold it. I buy it consistently, just like I do with index funds. Although a very small percentage of my overall investment, I'm not trying to make a quick buck. I'm buying it because I think it's going to add value to myself and society over time. Now, the reason why I'm bringing up Bitcoin so much is because I think it illustrates that people invest with their emotions, which is the reason most people actually lose their money in the stock market. This is why risk is so important to consider. What sort of risk are you prepared to take with your money? This is also known as risk tolerance. If I get any negative comments when it comes to creating videos, especially on TikTok, um, about investing, when people say that I've lost money on this or I've lost money there, I always respond with the same thing. You only lose money in the stock market if you sell the stock for less than you bought it. So if the stock drops overnight and all over the news, you know, Bitcoin, again, as an example, let's say it's crashed, it's lost 50% of its value. Why would you choose to sell it then? If you've bought it at double the price that it's currently at, by actually selling it, you're locking in that price. You are guaranteed to lose money. However, if you just stop looking at your account and potentially even buy a bit more because that stock is on a discount and ride out the storm, you are more than likely in the long term going to make a lot more money. It really does come down to an investor's mindset. So have a think about what you can emotionally handle. Are you going to be able to look at your balance and see it drop by 50% due to a global pandemic? And are you going to be able to stick it out until markets recover? Or do you really think that that's going to terrify you so much you're going to have sleepless nights, your quality of life's going to drop drastically? These are things that you need to consider. And that's going to affect kind of what you invest in in the future. Okay, so this leads on to diversification. And diversification when it comes to investing basically means spreading your money out and not relying on one thing to do well. By doing this, you reduce your overall risk when it comes to investing. And this too can average out or smooth the returns out over the long term and reduce overall volatility. Diversification comes in many different flavors. You can diversify by investing in different sectors, different locations in the world, or different asset classes. There are other ways, but those are the main ones. An example of this would be having the very vanilla bog standard 60-40 portfolio split where 60% of your money is invested into stocks or companies and the other 40% is invested in bonds, which are essentially company or government-backed loans. And these are viewed as, as a safer investment. So by spreading your money in this way, you don't see as much drop in your portfolio if the stock market crashes or if your bonds take a dive. Generally, they don't happen at the same time, so they tend to even each other out. 
it is the investment comparison to not putting all of your eggs into one basket. Do be careful, though, of over-diversification, as you don't want to spread your money too thin. Yes, this might mean you lower the volatility, but this will also lower your potential returns. So I hope you're starting to understand that there needs to be an element of risk. Now, the easiest and most pain-free way to diversify your portfolio is to invest your money into index funds. Now, index funds are collections of stocks that track markets or sectors. It could also be thought of as a benchmark. For example, the S&P 500 index tracks the top 500 companies in the US and how they're doing. So if you've invested £100 into the S&P 500, you essentially own a small percentage of each of these 500 companies, and you don't carry the risk of just betting on one company that may or may not do well you are hedging your bets that you think the US economy is going to do well and go up over time. And if one company fails, it's just replaced with another and your portfolio isn't going to take a big hit as a result. There really are thousands of index funds to choose from. There are funds that are all about sustainability and only have companies that have that ethos. There are big tech companies. There are some that adjust according to your retirement dates called target retirement funds that change your percentage of stocks versus bonds over time. You get the point. There's a lot to choose from. My point is, it's very easy to become paralysed with choice. Paralysis by analysis. And like most things in life, the most important thing is to just get started, not to make the perfect decision immediately, because nobody is going to be able to do that. We can always historically look back or the nine o'clock jury and say, oh, you should have done this and you should have done that. But at the end of the day, you're making the best decision that you can in the moment. And getting started with investing in particular just requires time. So the sooner you start, the better. Yeah, you may not have chosen the perfect fund in hindsight in 20 years time, but you've chosen a fund which is better than not choosing a fund at all. Okay, so that moves me on to dollar cost averaging or if in the UK, pound cost averaging. Either way, it's called cost averaging. Cost averaging is another method that you can use to smooth out the bumps by putting your money into an index fund every month, irrespective of the price of the share, which averages out the cost of the stock price over a long period of time. When the stocks are up, you get less bang for your buck. But when the stock market crashes, when everyone else is panicking and selling, you are buying shares at a huge discount. You just automate a monthly payment into your investment account and do your best not to think about it. There's going to be some months where you get an absolute bargain. And then there's other months that you may be overpaying for a stock. Either way, you're not thinking about trying to time the market. You're just in the market. This is how I invest and I think the method that should be employed by the majority of people looking to get started with investing. Okay, just a quick one on active versus passive investing. Active investing, as its name implies, takes a hands-on approach and requires that somebody act in the role of a portfolio manager. The goal of active money management is to beat the stock market's average returns, for example, the S&P 500 or the FTSE 100, and to take full advantage of short-term price swings. It involves a much deeper analysis and the experts to know when to pivot in or out of a particular stock, bond, asset, market, you name it. They are trying to study it and time it. You will often pay huge fees for this. And the truth is that most active investors do not outperform the market. But it's nice to think you might. And for some people, this is just the route they want to take. If, however, you're a passive investor, you're investing for the long haul. Passive investors limit the amount of buying and selling they do within their portfolios, making it a very cost-effective way to invest over the long term. And this strategy requires a buy and hold mentality, which means resisting the temptation to react or anticipate the stock market's every next move. It sounds exhausting. 
And this strategy, once again, blends perfectly with cost averaging and the method I think that most people, once again, should employ. Okay, enough about investing and terminology and all that sort of stuff. Let's take a look at three steps that you can employ if you're not investing to get going. Firstly, we need to choose an investment platform or investment app. There really are plenty to choose from, which can make things very confusing. The big thing to think about here for me are fees, because fees eat away your investment pot over time, which is the compound effect working against you. Some companies will charge you a monthly flat rate, whereas some others will charge you dealing fees every time you buy and sell a stock. But most platforms are easy to set up nowadays and it's all done online and many platforms have now gone app only, whereas Vanguard has no app at all, which actually I prefer because it means that I can't log on every time I go onto my phone. It just means that it's slightly more inaccessible, which means I'm less likely to look at my investments, which is a good thing. Now, I'm not going to go through all the different platforms now, but just do a quick online search. Um, there are loads of comparison sites that you can use to see which has the best fees and kind of reviews, that sort of stuff. Just find one that you think suits you and your ethos. Again, I use Vanguard, but that's just because they've got low fees and I like the funds that they have on offer. I have a monthly setup just to pay into that platform immediately after I get paid or I pay myself through the company. And if you want to see my portfolio and see what Vanguard looks like from a user's perspective, just check out my YouTube portfolio updates. I normally do them every month. Okay. So now we have chosen our platform, we need to decide what type of account we're going to invest in. And to keep things simple, I will walk you through three different accounts that you're going to be able to have access to and invest in. Firstly, the almighty Stocks and Shares ISA. And ISA stands for an individual savings account. You're probably already familiar with a cash ISA or a helped buy ISA or a lifetime ISA. And I know for sure I didn't know that you could invest within an ISA until I researched this myself. So an ISA is a tax wrapper, and it's the first port of call when it comes to your investments. A tax wrapper is essentially shielding your money from tax. So money into an ISA is post-tax money, and at no point again will you be taxed after that. So currently, as of 2022, you have an allowance of £20,000 a year, or a tax year, financial year, whatever you want to call it, to put into ISAs. That is an allowance for all ISAs, meaning that you can spread your money across your stocks and shares ISA, or if you have a cash ISA or a lifetime ISA, an accumulation of all of those ISAs, you can only put in £20,000 per tax year. Or, of course, you can just put it all into a stocks and shares ISA if you choose. Most banks, investment platforms and apps offer ISAs now, and they offer a big range of stocks and funds to invest in. The great thing about a stocks and shares ISA or investing in it is that you're never going to be penalised for withdrawing money. And for me, this is the huge attraction. Even if you were fortunate enough to accrue millions of pounds within your ISA and then you withdraw it all at once in the future, you will literally not pay a penny in tax. Okay, on to a SIP or a self-invested personal pension. And this is a great way to invest too, because like the ISA, it's a tax wrapper. It's essentially the motivation from the government for you to put money away for your retirement so that you are not relying solely on the state pension. So unlike the ISA, the money that's put into this account is pre-tax money, which means that you're going to have a bigger pot of money building up to compound over time. If you are employed, your employer will get tax breaks for putting money into this account for you. And if you have a different workplace bench with your employer or you're self-employed, the government will top up this account for you in the form of tax relief. This is literally free money and you'll be silly not to take it. So essentially, if you get paid via PAYE, you've already paid tax on your money. So if you then put this money into a SIP, 
the platform that you use will then contact the government and claim back the money that you already paid tax on back from them and put it straight into your SIP. So essentially, you've paid no tax. It is literally free money. And I actually talk about the free money element to this quite a bit, but some people have pushed back saying it isn't free money because it's tax. But it is because you got taxed and then you got it back. What other situation in life is that ever going to happen? And the beauty is by getting that money back, you can grow your pot even bigger over time using the wonder of compound interest. So the current annual allowance for a SIP or a self-invested personal pension is £40,000 and you have an annual lifetime pension allowance which is just over a million pounds. Something to certainly be aware of but would be a nice problem to have if that was an issue for you. It's also important to note that your access to the SIP is for me a bit of a negative. You can only start accessing your money within your SIP 10 years before the state pension age. So very soon you'll need to be 57 to start withdrawing money from this account and over time the state pension age is likely to rise therefore the age that you can access your money within your SIP is also likely to rise. So with pensions and SIPs generally you can withdraw 25% of your pot of money tax free. Then anything you take after that you'll be taxed accordingly to whichever tax bracket within income tax you fall into. And this is where it differs to an ISA because obviously with an ISA you can withdraw money whenever you want. And this is where a combination of both to make sure that you have access at all times is the best strategy to use. Okay, so the third account that you can use is a general investment account or a brokerage or a GIA account. And a general investment account is just another account that you can invest in inside of without the tax benefits of an ISA or a SIP. So really you should only be using this once your allowances are used up for the other accounts or you want to invest into something that aren't available within the other accounts. So some people hold on to investments in this account until their ISA allowance for the year starts again and then transfer it across. It's kind of up to you. I personally use this account just to build up a dividend portfolio in the hopes of receiving a bit of an income in the long-term future. And if you like the idea of getting dividends in that form, the current annual dividend allowance without paying tax is £2,000. And there's no limit to how much you can invest within this account, but profits will be subject to income and capital gains tax. Okay. So now we know platforms, tax wrappers that we can invest in, what should we invest in? And put simply, index funds. And index funds, as I mentioned earlier, are just collections of stocks and are by far the best way to spread your risk and lower volatility. Many platforms, including Vanguard, have ready-to-go off-the-shelf funds. And Vanguard's ones are called life strategy funds that diversify your money by spreading it around asset classes and locations all across the world, having some weight towards the US market, some towards the UK, some towards Asia, all over the world. And there are thousands of these index funds to choose from across multiple platforms. But just like choosing a platform, do not be crippled by choice. You cannot go wrong with a low-cost, globally diversified fund. And for me, I use the Life Strategy 100 fund with Vanguard, which is not a recommendation in the slightest. Do some research. It doesn't have to take that long. Just choose a fund that you like the look of that's spreading your money across the world and start investing. Now to drive the point home one last time, automate the payment into your account. Buy shares of your chosen index fund each month by taking five minutes in the beginning to set up an automatic payment when you begin. Do it as close as you can to payday so that the money isn't sitting in your account and potentially being used elsewhere. And then increase this amount whenever you can, whenever you get a pay rise or you just have a bit more money sitting in your account or you just you know reviewed your budget and realized oh, I have an extra £50 here. Put this towards your investments. 
And by doing that, the compound effect over time will grow your pot to a sizable amount. The time to start investing is now. Remember, it is time in the market and not timing the market. To briefly recap, choose a platform with low fees and invest in low-cost index funds within an ISA or a SIP or a GIA if you use up all your allocations or allowances. Choose an index fund that suits the risk that you want to take. Set up a monthly payment so you can take advantage of cost averaging and try your best to increase the amount you invest every time you can. Review your account every month at the absolute most, but do not check it every day. And this really is an important tip. Do not focus on the day-to-day movement. Focus on the long term. Zoom out and see how your portfolio is performing month to month or year to year. And there you go. That is a whistle-stop tour of what I believe to be the most important things you need to know when it comes to investing and how to get started. Of course, you can go down the rabbit hole as far as you like, but in my experience, the simpler the better. Don't overcomplicate things. Guys, if you have any questions about today's episode, please do reach out to me. I respond to absolutely everything. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving it a five-star review. That would make me very happy and it would get the podcast reaching more people. Thanks again, guys. Until next week. Peace.